This is the Life Therapy with Zeta podcast. I'm Zeta. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Conversations with Ourselves. Today I'm in conversation with Tasha Jackson. She is a San Francisco-based psychotherapist, marriage family therapist, and relationship counsellor. Tasha gained national attention for being an early advocate for the LGBTQ community and was one of the first US-based therapists to openly advocate for gay parenting. Just this month, she published her first book, Master Data. Master Data, the guide for normal dating and finding love in the digital age plus 29 hilarious and humbling anecdotes from a therapist's dating life. It's a book that I would highly recommend you read if you are in the realm of dating or if you are perhaps about to enter the realm of dating. Not just because it's informative with information coming from a qualified trained professional, but also because it's fun and it's funny and it's deeply enjoyable and it is very tender and kind and compassionate, much like the author. It was great to have a conversation with another qualified professional who had a sound and broad understanding of love and relationships and the tenderness that comes between us. So today I introduce you, Tasha Jackson. Hi, Tasha Jackson. What an absolute pleasure to have you here on Conversations with Ourselves. I've been looking forward to this conversation, mostly because I know it's going to involve something to do with sex. So, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited too. I just love technology that two women can have this conversation across international timelines and get it together. And here we are on point, on time, present and correct. It's brilliant. I know. Isn't that nice? It's lovely when technology works for us. And then I think when there's two people who can just like break it down and like just drop all our guards and talk about anything, I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be fun. And, you know, for me, I feel like it's such an honor and a privilege to get to have these kind of conversations that we started on Twitter, kind of that don't in my experience, generally happen between therapists, which is kind of just saying it as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm bringing a little bit of sanity to the popular culture of, oh, that's narcissism. Oh, that's that. And I'm like, did you read a psychology book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's certain people, it just happens, you know? So yeah, if they're taking the time to get them to know themselves, and I like to think therapists have done it, but not everyone, but yeah. Yeah. So in view of that, for our lovely listeners, tell us a little bit about your background. So I am in America. There's all these different licenses, but in break it down, I'm what's called a psychotherapist. So I see people in my office. They come in once a week. I would describe myself as a relationship expert, not necessarily a sex expert. So let's just be real clear. There's people who are licensed sex therapists and I am not one of those. I wish I had all that knowledge, but I would say I'm more of a relationship expert and I do everything from, you know, more, a little bit more Freudian psychotherapy to modern day CBT. And I mix it all together. And I have a love for Eastern thinking. So I mix sort of Eastern and Western all in one. And really when it comes down to it, each person's 
problems are individuals. So I get to hear their story and understand it and hopefully ask the right questions for them to figure out what's going on with them to get them in a better place. That's my hope. Doesn't always happen, but God, I just love hearing people's courage to dive into, you know, trying to get themselves into that next level of growth. And it's an amazing career. I love my job. So yeah, it's an amazing thing. And so in view of that, what drew you to become a psychotherapist? Oh, that's a good question. I love this. You're just diving right deep. How long is your podcast? I could just really dive. dive. Um, I, you know, I've got time. Of, okay, good. You know, it comes from, I think a lot of people, for me, it's, it's that wounded healer. I was a child who, you know, in sixth grade, marched over to the middle school and went to a counselor and the counselor was not good at all. But at the time, you know, my parents were going through what led to eventually a divorce, but my mom was seeing a woman and I was, oh, you know, what is this? What's happening? You know, things were happening that I didn't know about as a kid and went over and talked to somebody and, oh man, she was horrible. She said the wrong things from an adult perspective, mm -hmm. but it kind of opened my mind of like, oh, wow, that can, that person has some influence. And I have always tried to say, okay, how can I help other people? I would love to be a lawyer and redo policy, but I just not a strong writer. It's not my talent set. And uh, I like to think I'm good with people. So it's sort of like a mix of where my talents lie and where my heart wants to do something good. And, and then my experience as a kid really of like, wow, you know, you can make a difference in somebody's life for a long time by even just being present with somebody. And you can say the wrong things, but just being there, soul to soul, can make a impact. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and what so about you? wonderful. Well, it's interesting because it was kind of a similar thing. I grew up in a family where people were either nurses, doctors, or lawyers, and it was very much sort of the immigrant child story. You've got to choose a profession. Huh. And I was like, well, I'm so not into the whole blood on the floor thing and the dressings. It was just kind of a little bit too messy for me. So it didn't really have that appeal. And law, I was drawn to, and I've sort of circumnavigated it now that I coach and I'm a therapist to lawyers, but I didn't really want to be one. As much as I'm sort of argumentative, I'm sort of interested in slightly larger concepts. So actually, for me, it was, I took a detour through fashion first because I'm a creative. Huh. And then when I hit my own wall and I hit it pretty hard, I was like, oh, man. And it was actually the people that I saw that was so good that inspired me to go, dude, I want to give other people what you've just given me because that is so special and so valuable. And there's only one of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that story. It's powerful, though. That's good. Yeah. So I kind of have amalgamated all of the professions and kind of that were available as a child from my family to choose from and kind of reformulated them into my own thing that's become life therapy. Huh. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like for you, it's also a little bit of where your talents lie and you bringing in what you've done in the past into your work. Is that, am I hearing that right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think getting a celebrity out onto a red carpet when they're 14 or 15 or actually really creating a safe space for young children who are exposed to a lot of stuff when they go into those very public worlds at quite a young age gave me a kind of context in which to sort of practice and really be a support or a sounding board. When you're dressing someone, you're the last person who's with them before they go out on stage or walk the red carpet to be that voice in their ear that supports them so that they make it back again yeah. without, you know, peeling off into the, you know, all the different things, all the stories we know of child celebrities where they go. So I kind of, it started there and they would start to say to me, oh, you should do this and leave the clothes out of it. I mean, I like you doing the clothes, but I wish you could just be my side all the time. So it was whilst I was living in California, actually, that I was like, yeah, and I can be by my own side all the time. (laughs) 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 Which is quite important when you're a commercial artist, you're really selling a very valuable part of yourself and you forget how much that very tender part is actually motivated and rests in a lot of trauma and needs to be tended to. Yes. Yeah. Forgotten about. It just, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Powerful. I like this part of what you were saying of that last little bit they have before they go out into the world. Because I forget about what we hold on to in those last little moments of whatever we're at. I'm a big health nut and a lot of people say, you know, your last rep, make it strong because your body will remember it. But I think with mentally too, like what is that last little bit we hold before we enter another space? Mm -hmm. You know, even with someone grieving, like what is that last little moment we have that we have of them? I just, I forget about that and how important that is. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's very precious. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of modern life kind of slides over how actually very tender and vulnerable human beings are. You know, it's like in what I observe when I see the mudslinger, or as they call it, the bullying or this, that and the other. And like we have to remember that when someone has been hurt, they hide the soft, tender bits and to Mm -hmm. cope, they bring forward the fighting, battling, spitting blood bits. Mm -hmm. And the more it's... Yeah, the more the armor there is, you know that underneath the shell, it's so soft, so delicate. It's mm-hmm. just saying, help me, please, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of like these things lion. are so interesting. Yeah, the lion and the little kid yeah. underneath. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> exactly. And, and life is kind of quite, you know, brutal in a lot of ways once you leave the nest. And start going into the area that you work with, which is relationships. It's that's a minefield in itself. Yes. Yes. Because we come at, you know, if you think about using your grade and part of anger, when someone comes at this with anger, you know, what does that bring up for us? And then how do we react to it? You know, you're beautiful in the sense of sitting there and going, how tender. And you know that there's so much pain underneath. It is so hard to react that way in the moment. And then it's like, okay, we act back in anger and it just fuels. And what is that doing with our relationships? And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens so often, like you say, in a second, that there's a trigger that wants to fire back the gun. Like, my <laughs> all right, that's it. You hurt me, I'm going to take you out. 
And before we know it, we've got full-blown many wars on a local and global level. And it's so important that we are able to move into a space and go, okay, that wasn't meant for me. So as long as I remember that's nothing to do with me, I can dodge it and just keep my place. Yeah, dodging it. (laughs) (laughs) Dodging it. It it, it is a skill. It's like a martial arts. I used to watch them all when I was a kid and watch how Michelle Yeoh would kind of go, shoo, shoo. I was like, that's kind of what you've got to do emotionally is keep your ground and be like bamboo and just. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I can completely see it. It's like the word projections, like being thrown at, you're like dodging here and there. I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah. Deflecting. <laughs> it's like a little dance. I mean, of course, it's easier said than done, as we both know from the work that we do. So what I'm really interested in is that you've actually written a book which is about to come out, correct? Yes. And I'm Master Data. (laughs) How could I I forget a title like that? It was so obvious that I forgot. It's brilliant. So tell us (laughs) about this book, Master Data. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, well, I'd love to talk back and go back to uh, projections in a little bit because I do have a chapter on it yes. about how standing your ground is so much of it coming at you. But to explain the book a little bit, I wrote it by accident. If you can actually write a book by accident, I was writing a book on how to sort of get over a relationship because I felt like there's a lack of books out there and that self-help. And the last chapter was like, well, someone's kind of moved from it. They work through their identity and they should probably start out dating. How, what do I have to say about dating? I don't know. (laughs) So I locked myself and I just wrote everything that I say to my clients about dating or everything that came into my mind. And suddenly I had a rough draft and I worked with a brilliant co-author to kind of flesh out the fine tune the ideas from there. But I wrote it comically because dating kind of can be comically And from my own experience of, man, did I fumble and man, did I make some mistakes? And I think dating's changed today with apps and the way we approach it. And at the same time, it hasn't changed because we're still humans and we're still sensitive. And where do we drop our walls? When do we feel safe to connect? How do we find that trust and deepen it to that emotional part that we want? while also speaking our physical needs. So, you know, speaking to all of it, how do we start these relationships that we want? Not settling, but also, you know, not realizing that, you know, nobody's perfect out there. There's no unicorn. Um, But there's a unicorn that's good. You know, there's something that's good for us that we're really happy about. So that's, in a nutshell, the book. Um but it is super fun. So there's a lot of jokes. I'm pretty sassy and a little dirty. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's that, about me. I could just, you know, ham it up. <laughs> well, that's good. And it sounds like, you know, that's the perfect place to start. I mean, it's quite interesting because with this little bit of pond that sits between us, I can remember when I moved to America and, you know, I was in my Ah, oh, early 20s. And I just could not get my head around how formalized dating was in America. And so, you know, kind of like 
when I was looking at some of the issues you brought up in the book, I was like, oh my God, this is just so complicated. Let me just give up. <laughs> Can you tell me a story about this? Or maybe you don't want to well, divulge on a podcast. Well, no, 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 it's fine. I mean, in England, it's sort of you fumble around with each other and you fall into something. All, all of a sudden you realize that you've been having the same friend come over to drink cups of tea for hours and oh well you might as well you know we're kind of licky lacky in England we don't really put that much effort into things we don't work that hard at things which is why America is America and England is England and so these rules of dating and engagement just left me really confused because it was a cultural shock but I had no template. I remember this book came out, what was it, The Rules? And I remember looking at this book and I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and so I'm sort of in the generation where I fumbled my way through not dating by just reading all the different dating advice books, which just confused me more until online dating started. And then I went on J-Date, which was hilarious because, you know, I called myself Marigold and all these guys would turn up expecting to see some willowy, lovely Jewish lady. And there I was, an African-Caribbean girl from England. <laughs> That's awesome. Love it. it is awesome. It is. But it was like there was no pressure then. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. mostly it was Orthodox Jews on J-Day and there was, you know, I was safe. They were safe. So, but at least I started. Why did you choose? Why did you choose J-Day? Like at the time, probably it was Match.com. That was the big hit. Or I don't know. Well, because actually I grew up in North London which is a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And so my first boyfriend was Jewish. And so it was almost like in my early 20s, I had a sign that said, Jews welcome here. So I picked J-Date for sticking with the familiar, what I knew, what I'd known growing up. Huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think we're still slightly baffled. Some of the culture of dating has waved back over this way to England. But similar to Sweden, mostly what we do is we go out, we get incredibly drunk, we mate, we go to Ikea, and then perhaps we start dating, get married and reproduce. <laughs> love that. I love how Ikea works its way in of there. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Ikea. <laughs> but the, it's it's, it's a key relationship moment, Ikea. If you can make it through there, in a beginning to cohabit situation, you're going to go the distance. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of a true test. And really, it's when you get home and you realize that you bought all these things, you have to put them together. Like, there's where the test of the relationship is. Like, yeah, really absolutely. Want to put the effort in. <laughs> <sighs> and that's how I finally got found by Unicorn. He had never huh? been to Ikea. And I took him and he kind of was like, he just took it on board and rolled with it. And he was terrible at putting things together. He said, are you sure we shouldn't just call them? I was like, no, we've got to figure this out together on our own. Wow. This is a new like relationship test you got, like the Ikea test. That's good stuff. I mean, it, yeah. it jogs a bad memory of mine. I remember when I was 22 coming from Ikea. I think Ikea is a little similar to a casino. Like there's no windows. You get lost in there. No one can really help you and you overspend your money. So you're just like, ah, Ikea. But I remember standing in the long line and I was like, the kids were whining. It was a Saturday and I'm worn out and I see kids all around me, like snot going down. Again, I'm like 20 and I don't have my patience. 
And I just go, oh shit, I didn't take my birth control pills today. <laughs> like, that was like my trigger. I'm like, oh, can I like triple up here in the middle of Ikea? I'm not ready for this. That's hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> so maybe it's also not only a relationship, but like, are you ready for children, Mark? Like stand in the Ikea line. Yeah, it tests everything, communication, collaboration, compromise, you know, the three big C's of a relationship are right in there from the moment you, the moment actually you enter the car park. That is so true. I mean, (laughs) shoot therapy. (laughs) I mean, to this day with the unicorn, I'm like, okay, why don't you find the parking spot that's furthest away from the entrance. That way I can coerce him into parking into the one closest because that's the one he's going to choose. So all these things go good. <laughs> so much for the Myers-Briggs. Let's just take him to Ikea. Every first date, like just like the Ikea approach. Yeah. I mean, it works for the Swedes, but they have notoriously very short relationships. Whereas British people, if we invest that much money that we spend at Ikea, we're going to cling on to each other for dear life until the Ikea furniture falls apart. (laughs) I had no idea about the Swedes. I thought they're up there like with with some of the happiest, maybe because they're switching around, they're happier. No, no, no. It's the best propaganda machine ever. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks good, like the catalog on the front page. But by the time you get to the listings inside, you're like, okay, get me out of here. I went looking for the socialist utopian dream and I didn't last. I was like, okay, take me back to capitalism. Wow, interesting. Yeah. I mean, lovely people, beautiful country, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, women don't have it quite so great, which is why it's such a big thing on the agenda and you know there are issues like there are anywhere all i'm saying is it isn't better hmm. it's yeah. just like everywhere else was there one thing in particular you were craving sorry for getting off topic here but was there one thing that you were craving wanting to come back to more of a capitalist <gasps> i miss the sense of community where people smile and talk to each other even though for english people we're quite reserved there is that. London is a series of villages and there's a great deal of trust. And because of our tolerance, the diversity means that we're like a huge, loving, dysfunctional family. We fight, we spit, we kick, we get on with each other and we don't get on with each other. But there is this acceptance that doesn't matter where you've come from, you can live beside whoever. There's no sense of segregation. And I really miss that. We had had it, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the blacks and the Irish were over there and so on and so forth. But now it's really homogenized in that sense. And Sweden is lovely, but the simplicity of it is it's not that homogenized. It's still predominantly a Northern European country. And to find the other brown people or black people or other You've got to go to what they call the suburbs. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So I miss that diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Included is, I mean, wow, that gets to your soul, right? Yeah. It's a a core part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is what relationships are about, really, aren't they? They're about finding or belonging with another 
perfectly flawed individual like one in its own self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have this culture right now of really othering people and pushing them away, you know, whether it be politically or, you know, even just in our language, we have a lot of labels and like, okay, a lot of othering. I'm like, okay, how can we get back to that inclusivity and bringing together? <sighs> yeah, I think we've lost some kind of middle ground. It's extreme poles at the moment, extreme kind of left or extreme right. And there's this well in the middle where sort of good sense, peace and harmony used to exist. <laughs> it's, it's got a little bit neglected recently. Yes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's cut from what I, you know, kind of got from your book is finding this tenderness with acceptance of, you know, the person doesn't need to be perfect. We don't need to be perfect. It's saying, you know, as you are, mm-hmm. it's okay. As long as you're not going to, you know, treat me worse than you were a cat, then we're all right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's a process, right? Of like, just yeah. saying, okay, then I'm okay. God. And those things that we feel that may be unlovable may are you know something to work on and to look at and but it's someone else may not feel it it's so flawed and you know i don't know about you but it's taken time to get to that point of just being okay with not being you know absolutely perfect and fumbling and noticing too when you're in a relationship that they're a separate being they don't necessarily represent you that you can see their flaws and still be connected and that takes time right yeah i mean i think what i've learned is that relationship is about a huge amount of humility trust and faith and acceptance once we recognize look i'm not the most perfect person in the world i get grumpy and i can be a little bit bossy and verbose and sometimes get too intensely drawn into politics sometimes i'm still thinking about the details of a client or something but rather than trying to say my partner's therefore got to be perfect just because he doesn't do something else because it's like oh the way a guy does it it's like well women aren't perfect either neither are men We both do weird kind of strange stuff. Neither gender is perfect and all the other genders in between on whatever spectrum, whatever you want. And as humans, once we remember to be that compassionate to ourselves, it makes it much easier to be compassionate to another human being. And perhaps, you know, as you say, just see them slightly differently. See them for who they are rather than who we think they are. Yes. It's so beautifully put. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying of this part of compassion. And I feel that there's, I don't say it's a gender war, but, you know, women are trying, we're trying to have our voice heard and have equal rights. And at the same time, you know, there's pushback from men and also a lot of men welcoming this and want this. And absolutely, when we're shouting at each other or screaming, you know, we shut down out of, you know, all sorts of different reasons. But when we come with compassion, there's healing and there's embracing and it comes to that togetherness that we, you know, talked about before. And I forget your other good point you just said, but yeah, in relationship. Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, but it's like what you're saying as well is if there isn't a gender war 
or anything, but there is violence in our language. Mm-hmm. You know, you can pick it up where somebody says, oh, you made me feel like this. No one can make feel like something. And if you'd say that they've made you feel like that, one, you've given them power. And two, they're going to go on the back foot defensive because no one wants to be, hold the burden of that responsibility. And the moment we can go into a place of when you do this, this is how I feel. Whoa, it's a game changer in the communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Semantics matter. Sorry. They do. No, no, don't say sorry. I agree with what you're saying. That's just my kind of observation and what I was picking up from your lovely book. Oh, thank you. It's tricky though, because when we're in where our nerves are up, when we're dating or we're searching for love or any sort of new relationship, we fill in a lot of those blanks that we don't know whether you had a hope or desire or, you know, I uh, was reading some, I forget was the Elizabeth, Oh, what's her name? Gilbert. She said the other day of like, I have a problem of hoping too much of every partner I have. She said it much more eloquently, but you know, that's where she's like, I just think that they're better than they are. So her story, but I was like, okay, that's interesting way of doing it. And I think we often see something and, but what is that? What really is there? You know, I have a lot of clients who tell me, well, they check off every single box and the things I want, but I'm not excited to see them. I'm like, okay, dive that deeper. Like, what is that feeling? You know, and that feeling is important too. You can have someone look great on paper, but you know, what is that next part? In Master Dater, I talk about a story of my own where I was at this Christmas party and I had the time I was still getting over a relationship in my head. I was still getting over a relationship and I didn't want to date. And this guy came on strong to me and he's super handsome. And I'm like, okay, you know, one thing led to another. The night started, he was a good conversationalist. And at the end of the night, he's like, I just got out of a relationship, but I've obviously been hitting on you all night. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know. You know, we kissed. And then I was like, uh, so be it. He's like, we exchanged numbers and I never thought anything about it. The next day I start having these conversations with my roommates and we started basically like hunting him down online. And they're like, do you see that he works at this place and this place? And look how handsome he is. And I'm like, and then I start projecting in my mind. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should give this guy a try. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. And I ended up going on dates and dates with him and filling in the blanks of how I thought he was. And really, in reality, our relationship was nothing. It was just in my head. But we do that all the time, right? We have stuff that's in our head. These almost imaginary relationships of who somebody is and what we want them to be. And then in the end, if they disappoint us, is it ourselves to blame that we projected on them? Or is the other person I also put on a mask? You know, how much it was that they well, wanted to believe something in them too? Well, I think it's a bit of both really, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, the mind, as we know, is incredibly powerful and we can hold stories and they can create a whole reality <laughs> just from stories that are going on in our head. But then when we perhaps look at the motivating forces, it runs a little deeper, you know, and sometimes what's lying behind it. You know, we've all met that girl who's met a fantastic, amazing guy, but he lives more than 50 miles away. 
you kind of already know that she doesn't really want to have a relationship. She set it up that it's not going to work. So the mind is very clever because it creates external experiences that support the belief that we're holding. Mm. And sometimes these guys who we have high hopes or expectations of is really still the residual of the fantasy of the knight in the shining armor who's going to come and save us. Mm. But is it something, I mean, for me, I had that, which was why I just didn't date any of them. But once I'd resolved something that was missing with my absent father, I didn't need to look for guys who were going to come and save me because now I had a dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all these different things come into play. And I think it's helpful, you know, like you're saying, is about getting really honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging the truth of who we are and where we're at and what we're doing and how does it feel? Because the body does tell us a lot. Yeah. We discount it too, right? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this has come up or, you know, you feel tense. And, you know, often I've asked my clients of, so what do you feel in your body at that moment? And, you know, it takes a while to, register or they'll come to me and going, well, I, I like this guy, but when we start to, you know, go into the bedroom, I clench up and he's like, what's wrong? And then, you know, we dive in closer. What do you think your body's telling yeah. you? And she's like, well, he hasn't committed to me. So, you know, I'm like, okay, so is it, mm. you know, those questions start unhealing mm-hmm. themselves and you're like, okay, what is that your body? Cause your body and mine are connected. You're not these two different spheres that don't communicate. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so important. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when we're looking for messages, it's sometimes where our intellect like, okay, well maybe we can't think here. What's, what, what is our body? Is it, what message is that our body's telling us? There's an old Freud. I think it comes from Freud of the symbolism of the body. And I don't know how much validity it really has, but I always find it really interesting. For example, I was working with this one boy. I don't work with children anymore, but when I was, I had this young boy and he was wetting his bed way beyond years that he should have been wetting his bed. I think it was like eight or nine. And my supervisor at the time said, what? He's pissing on himself. Um, mm. You know, he's like, symbolically, he doesn't like himself. It's that metaphor. And I'm like, oh, Mm. the body's saying these messages. Mm. And it is, I've used that throughout my career. I'm like, someone has, you know, like their eye starts to twitch. And I'm like, Mm. what is the meaning of your eyes? Like, like, well, I'm having trouble seeing something right now. Right. You know, or, you know, my stomach hurts. Oh, my gut. I feel like my gut is off. So, you know, it feels almost like cheesy, like too much you know, spiritual, but it's amazing how that meaning can come out in sessions. So yeah. I don't know what more to say of that, but it, I just find it fascinating. Well, I think it's really important because some people call it spiritual. Some people will call it woo-woo or whatever it is. Science treats us as a mechanical kind of body that can be you know, broken and then it can be fixed back together and the parts can be resolved or medicine can adjust the chemicals of our body to bring it back into balance or something. But you go on Amazon and you can buy all of the ingredients to make a human being, but no one's ever been able to do it. No one does it for a simple reason, which is the life force. 
soul, whatever it is, that sentient part of us that knows when we're being stared at or knows when our child is sick and needs us, is not mechanical or chemical. Mm. It's something else. And I'm not talking from a spiritual perspective. I'm just talking straight up facts. So it is important because it's this part of our mind, the super conscious mind that knows more than we can ever comprehend, but drives our intuition and our instinct and those choices and why we need to trust them sometimes or why we need to adjust them. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because it comes back to this part of your book that you talk about the change that's come about with online dating. Yeah. And it's interesting of, you know, you're really touching on the part of mindfulness and how, but online dating, it's like, okay, how can we be mindful of this new technology? Has it changed the landscape? And with Master Dater, I dive in and it's not, I have empirical research because I think the research is coming out, but more of my clinical observations of seeing this suddenly there's no limit to the amount of people it can reach. And mm. so in some ways, of course, that's fantastic. You can connect to people and meet other people before it was just the bar scene, right? Mm. And it was like, okay, mm-hmm. you meet them there and you're intoxicated, but that doesn't always work for everybody, nor, you know, how can you branch out? But when there is so many choices, is there the paradox of choice? And I don't know if you've seen that TED Talk where, have you seen that TED Talk on Paradise of Choice? No, I don't think so. He goes into this great, I think it's Schwartz is his last name, great thought of, are we in a world now where there's so many choices, it brings up anxiety. And then yes. when we, we finally make a choice, we're really not even sure if we made the right choice and we sort of spin on it. And then when we realize that we haven't made the choice, we blame ourselves and therefore adding more stress to ourselves. So then when I apply this, you know, just kind of starting the conversation in my book, like, do we apply this to dating? What does that look like? Because I see this a lot with my clients of going, oh, well, I'm dating this person. I'm really liking this a lot, but I'm still like, hey, I've got so-and-so here and I got so-and-so there. And I kind of want to see how those go. And then a little tiff, which will happen in any relationship. Maybe they've gone to Ikea (laughs) Mm. and they go, am I worth seeing this through? Is this little riffle worth it? And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm willing to do that. And other times I'm like, I really don't have the effort because I can just have the ease of these other choices that are right there. And so it, it adds that little bit. And I do know psychologically when there's a scarcity of something, there's more attraction. We're more attracted. So if there's a scarcity of, you know, then where our choices, we're not as choosy, you could say. So that how do you apply that to dating now that we have this abundance? And of course, I think that changes as age goes up too. probably, you know, the older you get, you feel like there's, you know, scarcity of options. And so then maybe something that you wouldn't have been attracted to before is more attractive. I don't know. You know, it's so individualized, but I think it's something to think about. How do we make these choices now online and knowing that there's somebody maybe right behind them? 
But I think maybe that's part of why we created a world that's given us so much choice is so that we don't really have to think. We don't really have to be too challenged. We don't really have to change anything about ourselves. We just keep going until we find something that fits for now and keeps us feeling good. When it doesn't, we can discard it and move on. You know, that's part of what comes with the kind of wealth that we live with. Mm. There isn't really scarcity of anything. We can throw away the carrots that grow crooked, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yes. And then, you know, as you say that, it's like, you know, my uh, talk about physical reaction. It's like my chest was like, oh, we feel like objects, right? Like, oh, we can just Mm. be thrown away. And there's one thing to feel like we're the one controlling swiped, but when we realize that we're being swiped away, oh, mm. just, you know, that hits at another level, like, oh, disregard you. And that just, you know, mm. or to know like, hey, if I bring up my real feelings, you're not going to put in the effort. Sorry. Like, Sorry. Can you say that last bit again? Because the yeah. sound dropped out. No problem. So that feeling of, oh, what if I'm going to be swiped away? Or what if I push an issue a little bit farther? Any friction going to go, you know, to the wayside? And an example of this, it's a little bit of a tangent, but so foster children, I used to work with some foster children and there was an issue of when they go into a new home, if they express anger, the foster parent, they would feel, you know, anxious about the foster parents then bringing them back to foster care. Oh, they're angry. I don't want to deal with them. I want an easier Mm. foster child. Mm. So they learned that their feelings, they had to shove them down. Mm. So are we, you know, I I don't, they're completely two different situations, but are we in this part where can we let our guard down and let ourselves really be real with people in the fear that they're just going to disregard us? Can we deepen our relationships? And have that with our new dating. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where it's sort of like everybody's doing it and it's the new thing, but there are still a lot of people who aren't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of have to (laughs) trust that maybe they'll somehow keep the old system of operating going. But this, this thing about sort of not having, I mean, Where I notice it more, not so much in our cultures, but, you know, I have family in Africa where they're very dependent on using phones. And Mm. that has changed it for them. Also moving out of village life where there may be 60 to 100 people living in your village. You bring them into these metropolises from all different types of villages and you start to see almost in hindsight what we've kind of created for ourselves in the West. Wow. Yeah, because we are tuned actually to see and know and understand similar as safe. We're quite tribal as people, even in our very kind of basic instincts. And even I kind of, I remember being shocked that my therapist sort of said to me, you've got to stop going out with Northern European guys. That's not going to work for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Hmm. <laughs> and <but> no, <laughs> <laughs> what other guys are there? This is where I live. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But actually, when I found my guy, and he is kind of, to me, a unicorn, and I say he's a unicorn because actually he's culturally very similar. 
He's essentially biracial. He's like me, both from groups of people who were excluded. And in our exclusion, we found a bonding, similar education, similar family values and similar values all round. That mm. when I strangely met him in real life, sitting at the pub that was just down the road, despite mm-hmm. the fact I've gone all the way around the world, he was so familiar, I was sort of like, why are you even looking at me? Because I was expecting that there should be this pitter-patter, thumping hearts, sweaty palms, which we're conditioned by movies to think is the real thing. Yeah. And I kept saying to my friend, no, I mean, he keeps sending me these messages and photos of sunrises. He's not my guy. And my auntie's like, well, you know, that's the one because she keeps saying no. (laughs) <laughs> I, love <it. laughs> oh, I love it when friends can get I mean I talk about that master data too of like listening to your network and what they're telling you about someone that you're seeing yeah because I yeah. remember mine you know I remember at one point one of my friends because I was like I don't know about this guy and you know my friends are like um so I know he's not fitting into what you normally think but what you normally think, is that really working for you? And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's really good friends. Yes. To be honest. That's really good friends who can call you kindly and say, yeah, but wise up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and to, like, nudge you, you know, like, friendly, you know, gentle is all in the good of spirit. She's like... I don't know about these other guys, if they're really invested in you in the way you want to be invested. And, you know, it's like, we need help and talk about, you know, tribal help of like, okay, yeah, you know, getting into this part. Interesting that you were saying of, in some ways he's similar, in some ways he's opposite. I remember in graduate school, one of my professors who taught, I think it was like sex and psychology. I'm sure there's more recent studies about this, but I remember this penguin study he brought up and it was about how this certain type of penguin will go have sex with the most opposite genetic that it was. And then Mm. he'll hang out and basically raise the egg with a very similar, the most similar genetic. And they'll, you know, raise that basically be husband, wife, on this egg together. Mm. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just found that fascinating of genetically finding that match that's totally opposite, but wanting to have that tribalness of what we know of yeah. similar genetics. And, you know, what we take in that, what that means, I don't know, but I just found it fascinating that do we do that as humans? Yeah. 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 I mean, we're related to everybody twice. The chances of you finding someone who's not actually related to you is <laughs> and we're so blind to the history of our families that we don't know yeah i mean yeah. some very close communities do it consciously but a lot of us are doing it unconsciously and if we were to able to trace back five generations we'd find that we were probably related to the person that it worked out best with yeah yeah or the one who we were drawn to but didn't end up with because there's I love the way you use it in your book, douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably <I'm> just, because... <laughs> I'm 
I wanted to write master dater as one where I just did not use clinical terms. I was like, just right. plain language. Like, you know what? What do you call with your friend? Like, are you going out with a douchebag? Yes, they were a douchebag. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not clinical. I'm, I'm not sure quite what a douchebag is. I think it's something to do with a shower and a bath. So. <laughs> That's the original. But I don't think anybody really remembers what a douche is anymore. So, right. but oh, just, well, I, I think it's something you washed out your vagina with, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and the yes. bag was that. Yeah. yeah. And then Oprah finally came but, out and told the ladies, don't do it. And now it's yes. turned into a, you know, basically if you're a cheesy, jerky guy, I think is would be my term of defining douchebag. But. Right. I could a be pillock. Yeah. yeah, I think a pillock is probably the equivalent we have in England. But douchebag, I think we can roll with and understand. That's so, good. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the douchebag may well be that he, his great uncle did something douchey to your great aunt. <laughs> That's <Very> how I... <laughs> applying douchebag very nicely. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like we're blind to the possibilities of why we just know someone's not right or why we just know, oh, they're so lovely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're familiar in some way in terms of their patterns are already known to us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And it comes back to, you know, whole part of like, you know, pushing away as other or coming back again as together. And, you know, what we don't know, we can be so scared of and just not take that opportunity to learn and grow. And frankly, I don't think I would want to be with somebody who was just like me, even though it'd feel familiar at first, but how exciting would that be? Where would you learn and grow? And you know, just It would be all right if they were just like me at the different times to me being just like me when I'm just like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I want to win an argument, be just like me. <laughs> you know, if we could just kind of have it slightly out of sync. <laughs> so, Perfect. Yeah, that I could handle. And if you could be like as funny as I am, that would be really cool. No one's as funny as I am. <laughs> I just like the opposites right? of like, let me sleep in, you get up, make breakfast and coffee for me. Those are the good variety. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But different enough that there's just a loving kind of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want somebody who has something to say and will you know, just like my friends, kind of push me a little bit. Like, hey, you know, nicely. Like, hey, I thought about yeah. this. And you're growing and you're having adventures together mentally and, you know, maybe physically too. So, yeah. If you're not challenged, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. And if you're not inspiring each other to each day be a better version of who you were the day before. To me, I'm like, well, I might as well just go to sleep and do nothing. You know, <laughs> this is like, if in some gentle, loving way, you're not being stretched by your partner and doing the similar thing for them, constantly inviting them to just look at things from a different perspective. So yeah, you're constantly growing together. That's a beautiful journey. Oh, so well said. It's, I mean, I'm in the same boat with you. I also say that's not for everybody. You know, some people are very 
comfortable with the ritual and the sameness and the agreeability and they absolutely but absolutely yeah i mean that's the thing you've got to find your person who is the opposite but same so that you can find the tolerance of so even what i'm describing is it doesn't feel like that that is what is happening in the relationship but i can step back enough and know that it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah 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 and now do you feel that some you know there's the debate of like do you feel like you is something that you are willing to get outside of a partner or it's like you definitely want that in your partner like if everything else was good but that part was missing well, that's a very interesting question because I'm quite a loner, which is also why it was quite, a, I'm an only child, I'm a loner, I love solitude, I'm an artist, you know, stay away from me for hours on end. So I get a lot of what I need really from my partner. He's a great friend, he's a great confidant, we have a laugh together, he's hot, he's, you know, all of that. The things that I would be different I actually kept from my family and then from a few friends who are like family. So it's quite a tidy package, but it's not like an extensive package because I couldn't, you know, hang out with different people every evening. I'd find that exhausting mentally and it diminishes the value of the relationships in some way because they become watered down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I don't know. You know, I think it ebbs and flows. I think there's definitely certain things that I would really would want from a partner. You know, I use as my mom is been in a lesbian relationship for 20, 28 years now. And Mm -hmm. I use that as my ideal in many ways. And it's just intimately, emotionally close. And they really don't have much relationship beyond their, you know, dyad of a relationship. So they don't, you know, it's them every night cooking dinner, each other. And I would probably want a little bit more of other people in my life because I actually think that adds to a relationship too. But I use, you know, the backup of like, I want that emotional closeness. And then stereotypically, someone could say, can you get that in a heterosexual relationship? And so, you know, of course I do think that can happen, but you know, it's different. Every relationship's different. So I use that as a yeah. basis. And I find personally in my personal journey, that's been hard because I've wanted this connectivity that's deeper than maybe some other people use as an ideal. It's my personal struggle, but so, yeah. Well, it's interesting because yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that I've also observed culturally. Hmm. Some cultures are much more intimate and close with each other, even between the husband and wife dynamic. You know, often when I hear women talking about the need for their husband to kind of keep changing to be this more feminized version of a man that they understand what they're talking about, I'm like, oh, oh. And that's when I observe that it's a cultural difference in terms of the masculine roles and the Female roles. Huh. Interesting. You know, if you look at brown people, it's still quite matriarchal, even on the external, it appears patriarchal. Run, well, women run game in, <laughs> in Indian culture and in African and in Caribbean culture. So the concept of mansplaining, that just doesn't happen. Hmm. 
you know, oh. and the concept, the concept that a man would ever think that he knew better than a woman in that relationship, that he knows better than to think that way. Woman's played. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's been fully woman's played as to there's no man's playing. Don't even move your mouth. And I mean, it's part of the humor of the culture. So I guess in that context, when I did realize it was not that Northern European males weren't for me, I was like, oh, this was what was for me that was missing the very tender softness of someone who's from a culture that is similar to mine in that it's very tender and soft. Mm, interesting. Do you find so, yeah. in one of those, sorry to interrupt you, of one of those cultures of being emotionally closer? Do you mean that by the tender and soft or... Yeah, both physically and emotionally. It's more conducive to developing an intimacy between each other, mm. of a close intimacy. So there's nothing, you know, you hear stories sometimes, and I find them quite sort of gobsmacking, but I know that they exist, where you will hear clients say, oh, that's not something I could tell my partner to. Mm. That I can't perceive of living that way. I know people do, but it's not. I could tell if there was a thought my partner had. And I said, well, what's that? And they're like, I'm still processing it, but I'll share it to you. But there's no thing that I would think I couldn't say to them. Mm. And that's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And I'm going to bring it back to my book. You know, I'm shamelessly need to promote this thing, <laughs> but I'm not yet. Good stuff. Part. That's what we're here for. We need books like oh. this. <laughs> but I mean, it comes back to my last few chapters, which I feel are my favorite of the book of yeah. are talking about safety because I think a lot of people want to get to that part where they can share anything to their partner. And, you know, I, when I hear that too, it breaks my heart of like, Oh, how, you know, like, I know you want to share this. They probably want that piece of you, but I wonder with trauma in our background, people not feeling that they can take up space or been criticized for their ideas or, you know, shunned, neglected, and to open up and feel vulnerable, it feels threatening. Mm. And either the body shuts down or the words can't come out. And we go into that anxiety state of fight or flight and just talking becomes so hard. So creating that safety is just powerful. And I think even on the other side, if we are the partner where we wish our partner would tell us more. What role do we play in not creating a safer place? Do we say something and we place judgment on it and we think, oh, it's benign. We just placed our opinion. But now they feel this judgment of whatever it is and hesitant to say something more. Or let's say they tell you something, you just start crying. And not to say your tears are wrong, but Every time if you express something to them and you cry, are they going to be more apt to divulge what's on their mind? Just something to think about. You know, it's like, okay, what is our reaction when someone speaks their truth to us? And how does that affect them? Not to say we're, you know, we should change in any sort of way, but to have conversations about it. How was it that I reacted that way? Are we creating a place of judgment that stops somebody from being honest with us? I think we can see it on the big perspective politically, like, oh, I'm hesitant to say anything because it's not going to come off as PC and we're scared to talk. We don't have a safe atmosphere. We're going to be ridiculed or so. 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. But yet at the same time, I mean, because it is master dating, as you say, and what the point you're making so clear and is really important is it's in the dating that you work this stuff out, you practice it and you, you see if that person really has the capacity to hold a safe space for you. And you're constantly renegotiating the terms to get what you need and find a way to, you know, it's like the I mean, dating, it's kind of like the priest and reconciliation committee, really, isn't it? You all kind of <laughs> love that. <laughs> Peacefully finding ways to reconcile, you know, all those parts that over the years may have got damaged or bruised or hurt a little. And it's a really vital part of the process because I think what, master data brings up and this is where in the different language but similar ways is that if you're not willing to take on the person you are dating and seeing and all and all the people that come with them which is their fate who they were who they are and who they may become that nobody can if you can't open yourself to that then you kind of have to move aside and let them go free Mm. And they, you need someone who's willing to do the same for you because we all come tugging a cargo ship of freight behind us. Mm. And we've got to carefully look at, oh, what's in your cargo? What are you holding? Oh, I see. You picked up that in that port because this happened. It was stormy. And I can listen and hear what happened and empathize or sympathize or not, just not judge. I mean, ultimately, this whole concept of right or wrong, we really need as humans to ditch this in the bin because there's no such thing. Yes. Oh, yes. We're just learning. We are flawed human beings just learning. Yeah. And stop pointing fingers and just come together with compassion. Yeah. If we put each other in our shoes and live the other person's life, we would probably feel the same way. And, yeah. you know, it comes down to each other, too, when we're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't feel this way. Well, you know what? Most people probably would if they had gone through your steps and where you've come to. So not to disvalue your own feelings and, you know, oh, exactly. you know, like, okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Honor yourself. Honor your feelings, whatever the feelings are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all okay. Yes. Yes. We forget. We forget. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it often comes back to community, too, of helping each other. Like, oh, no, your feelings are valid. We all have different starting points. We all are coming from it from different angles. I really believe people are trying their best. Of course. I'm 100% with you on that. I don't think any human wakes up and thinks, right, how can I mess up somebody's day today? No human does that. They just don't. They are following something else that maybe drives their behavior, but it is not really to mess up somebody else's world. They are loyal to something that can't be seen. It's so important to just remember that we are all just doing the best that we can with what we've been given. Mm-hmm. And some got more than others. I don't mean financially, I mean emotionally or safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited. Master Data, when is it coming out? When can we expect to see it on our shelves? <laughs> November. So we, yeah, it should be out in November. 
So I'm probably going to do an earlier release last week of October, but then November, it'll be out and about to the world. So I hope it culturally applies to England and your listeners or anybody else who tunes in. But I'm excited, you know, more of just like having a conversation and thinking about it. And I tried to make stories in there that were funny. So even if, you know, someone's not feeling like they're having horrible dating issues, that they can just open it up and have a laugh. I mean, you could really read the whole book in one bathtub ride. You know, ride. I like how I said ride. Bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're doing with bathtub. (laughs) But it's just supposed to be, you know, it's half laughter and... I feel a lot of self-help books are either super clinical and you're like getting lost and you don't know how to apply it, or they're written by celebrities and there isn't actual chunks of information that you could use. And so I've tried to like, okay, how can this be fun? But like open your mind and, or you take my stories and go, oh, I see myself in that. Oh yeah. You know, I didn't see this person clearly because our sex was so fantastic. And all I could think about was sex. And then I realized I've been with this person for (laughs) six months and I'm like, oh, this is my sex life. It's great, but I have nothing else going for me. (laughs) (laughs) Hypothetically, I've done that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's okay too the smorgasbord of life should have some variety it enriches us and that's all wonderful and i mean from what i've read of the book i think that it is going to translate beautifully into england we're quite american literate in reading and especially in tv so i think it will be a great fun book and the thing that's really you've really hit it and aced it here is not just in the title but it's something that impacts us all and is so important to all of us. But you've brought the professional expert with the fun. And that doesn't exist. We get a lot of people who are claiming to be authorities on things and they're not, and that can potentially be quite damaging or dangerous. And so it was really, to me, that what appealed to me about you and your work was just you brought fun to a very sensitive and tender part of our life experience. And, but with the professional understanding and training and experience, which is also very important. Hmm. Thanks. I try. We'll see. See if it resonates. Yeah. But, you know, I have So now. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go on. I want to hear you. Oh, no. It's to say I, you know, have a habit or have had habits in my life. I buy books. And I just have them sitting on my, you know, my shelf and I try to read them. And I was like, oh, last thing I want to do is, you know, read about this deep issue. And it just is like a wish fulfillment. It's like the adult's version of throwing a coin in the fountain. Like, oh, I'll buy this book hoping it comes true. But it's just not gravitating enough to open it and keep going and reading. So that's my hope here. It's like a little bit more entertaining on a subject that can be heavy, like finding love and connection is makes us healthier and you know we need connection in our life whether it be friendship or love so hopefully a little lightheartedness and uh keep reading turning the pages fantastic and where will it be available or is it in amazon or apple books or i don't i don't do you know yet yet to be determined (laughs) it is definitely going to be on amazon it will probably be in some key bookstores, probably Barnes and Noble <coughs> Online, Apple Books. 
So it'll be in the big online and then probably a few sprinkled in bookstores. But for over there, I don't know, but I know it will be available on Amazon UK. Perfect. So everybody globally can find information about it from your website? Yeah, website. And then they can find me on Instagram at ShrinkShots or Twitter at Tasha Jack's Tweet or my website, which is the best place. And it's TashaJackson.com. And I have a resource page on there that I'm just, I'm very proud of. And you could spend weeks on my resource page on whatever topic that you are wanting to get more information on. Would be trauma or watching good TED Talks because there's so many of them. What are my favorites or parenting or whatever subject that is psychology. And I will post our conversation up there too, once we're kind of done and have a link to this conversation and so someone could spend a long time there in any sort of subject. So there's where I go. Sign up for my newsletter, which I really say comes out three or four times a year. So it's not a flood to an inbox. But, you know, some of my favorite stuff that I've seen online, I'll put it in my email. So, yeah. Amazing. You know, I don't actually even want to end this conversation, but, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to come back another time. But Tasha Jackson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today on Conversations with Ourselves. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Tasha as much as I did. Now perhaps you have a little insight into what therapists talk about when they think nobody is listening. (laughs) Do go out and buy your copy of Tasha's book. It's available on Amazon.uk and I no doubt amazon.com in america and it's also available anywhere you can buy print or ebook the audible version will be available in 2020 for more information about tasha you can find her on twitter or visit her website as she mentioned before for more information on the resources she has available I hope you will join us for our next episode and I hope we have inspired you to have wonderful conversations about your dating, relating and love experiences and ways in which you can improve upon them for there is always some way to bring a deeper level of tenderness and love to our relationships. Have a beautiful day with love, Zeta.